Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella here, your host for the Grief Recovery Now podcast. So happy you're with us today. Our listeners are so important to me and everyone, no matter where you are in the world, you know, United States, Belgium, Europe, you know, New Zealand, some of the countries we have. I'm trying to think who else we had recently, Algeria and all that. I just love it. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I say this almost every podcast. This is a come as you are podcast. So wherever you are emotionally, you are so welcome here. And anyone you know who may be going through the grief experience, which there's a lot going on today regarding grief and loss and trauma and tragedies and man-made mother nature way or whatever, just grief is grief. And even the smallest of grief, like my story last week about someone who got a divorce and she wanted just a little bit of closure that she never got. Sometimes if we don't have that closure, that is loss too. So My goal is to not have judgment on grief, which grief is a natural reaction to loss and just knowing I'm there for you and everyone is unique. Our grief is as unique as a fingerprint. And a lot of you know, uh, we have a segment called Off the Cuff with Charlene. And today is a sad day for me. It is a time in our world, a time in the United States where I live in Los Angeles, where things are happening with gun violence. And we just had a horrible tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, at the Robb Elementary School. And there were 18 children killed and one teacher at this elementary school. It was by an 18-year-old, a broken, to me, teenager, who felt the need a solution was to kill, I believe it was just a fourth grade class, and maybe there was third graders there too, And parents, and I'm going to talk about what we're going through as a collective. There's the macrocosm, which we're all going through here, about the gun violence in the United States. I know other countries, I know New Zealand listens to us and how the gun problem has been, they don't have it. Or Australia that changed their gun laws a long time ago. And I'm not being pro or against anything. So in this podcast, and that we have school shootings here. We had 27 school shootings here this year alone. And I'm from Chicago. And while I know that there's a lot of gun violence, but it's really in one area. And I just found out there was like 12 people who were shot and many of them killed in Chicago, close to where I used to live. And it's happening all over the place. And I have to believe there is a solution. Well, I said before, there's a macro collective grief going on and it's unprecedented loss that we've been having with this gun violence. And I'm just going to talk about that. We have Ukraine and all that stuff all over the world and other areas with war, Palestine and Israel and all that stuff. And I believe all of that is (laughs) man-made. And what I want to talk about is the microcosm of grief this collective grief. We have a town, Uvalde, Texas, that this is a community that is an extreme grief. Along with that is a polarizing different points of view of how to solve it. This shooting, as many all shootings are, it's a traumatic event. And there is extreme trauma going on. And some of the children that were killed, the parents had to do a DNA test 
to be able to identify the children. I can't even imagine what a parent will have to go through and what parents have to go through, whether it was your brother, sister, daughter, son, how do we talk to children about grief? And the reason why I'm narrowing in on children is because our our guest today, Chelsea Lynn Wallace, wrote a book and it's a children's book. So I want to zero in on the children at this off the cuff with Charlene and remember to talk to your children. They're not going to understand it, but be very straight with them. If we say they went to heaven or God needed an angel or something, they're not going to comprehend that in many other ways that we uh, communicate death and loss to children. Oh, they passed or never talking about it again to the child and grieve silently and alone. These are not ways of talking about grief in a healthy way. We are, to me, I have this thing. It's like we're taught how to get. We are not taught how to lose, especially in death. Say the word death. Say the word kill. Don't put the fear in them, but talk about a child who was broken, who felt the need to express their anger, maybe a mental health issue, just be there, even though they're little children, we can simplify it. That's what I love about Chelsea's book. It's a beautiful book and it's done very simply, but straightforward wise, children can take more than you think and let them talk to you. Listen, be a heart with ears when they're expressing their loss, no matter what it looks like. You cannot take how you're handling this grief and loss and thinking they're experiencing the same thing. They have a different language and it's got to be simple and acknowledge their grief, their anger, their sadness, even in their acting out. Please be patient with them. Grief is like as unique as our fingerprints. So no matter how long you grieve or whatever, but I have to tell you, there are times where you may want to isolate and hide and not love again. Express that to your children. If they're expressing it to you, acknowledge them. We don't understand exactly what each of us are going through in grief. Just say what I would tell people. I'm not sure how you feel. I know how I feel the sadness, but maybe your sadness is a little different. And talk about the children. If their best friend just got killed, talk about the best friend in good times and in bad times. Even, hey, do you feel sorry? What was your last conversation with them? Maybe they got in a little squabble and they didn't get to complete it. Maybe talk about the relationship and see if there's anything unfinished. Or the good times, like, what are you grateful for about the relationship? What, or not even grateful. What do you remember? What are some of the things you remember? Is there anything left unfinished, like an apology or a forgive? And talk about significant events. Like maybe they just had chocolate milk at lunch. It could be as simple as that. And what did you like? Did you like their laugh? Were they smart? Did they do well in school? Were they quiet? Were they outgoing? Let them have that processing. It is okay to talk about the loss. And then just be that. Don't try to fix it. Because sometimes you tie up those little loose ends, the apologies. If you had a best friend who got killed in Texas or wherever, or any loss, it doesn't even have to be this mass shooting. Talk to them about the relationship. And you can talk about the shoulda, coulda, wouldas too. Once that is released, and then at the end of your conversation, it doesn't have to be right away. It's like, how can you honor that relationship and say goodbye to all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, the forgives, the apologies, and start fresh in the memory and the honoring of that person who lived. Or it's not just about death either. So take what you want out of this off the cuff with Charlene. I am in extreme sadness, grief with everyone. Many people I talk to, even Chelsea, who we're talking today, we're affected by it. She's a mother. I am. Not the same. I'm forever changed each time there is something like this happening. So peace to everyone. And please remember to be in your heart. True grief is in the heart. Once you start doing, that's why I do my work. The coulda, shoulda, wouldas, the forgives, the apologies, the significant events. I'm here to help you acknowledge it, 
release it, do whatever you need to do so we can get to the work, the sacred work of grief. It's sacred. As horrible as it could feel, there's a sacredness to it. And I don't mean religion or anything. I mean, just take a breath and how you get to your heart is just maybe put your hands on your heart. It's an active organ. It's an energy and it is powerful. All right. Our next part of this podcast is the introduction. And my favorite part of this podcast is the introduction of our wonderful guests and our guests and talk a little bit about her and then we'll get on with the podcast. Let's welcome Chelsea Lynn Wallace. Chelsea Lynn Wallace is a children's author and a poet with a master's in education. She is a former elementary school educator who loves teaching poetry and creative writing to children. Chelsea moved around a lot, but felt a unique connection to every home she lived in. Her debut picture book, A Home Named Walter, is now available from Fywell and Friends Macmillan. She lives in Los Angeles, California with her husband, her daughter, Charlie, and her dog, Lucky. Hi, Chelsea. Welcome. Hi. Thank you, Charlene. I'm so glad to be here. Well, you're welcome. So happy you're here, too. And this is a perfect time, I think. Oh, my God. Even though this podcast will come out next month, I know timing is just perfect here. It's the divine timing. Yeah. And you as a mother, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Texas and all the mass shootings that have happened the 27 in a year and the trauma and the tragedy of it all and the grief part of it all just for a little bit. And then we're going to go on what, how, what, what it was like, what happened and what it's like today and how you got this juicy book, a home named Walter out. I just love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. So how are you doing as a mother? I know you have a daughter around third grade, fourth grade, and her friends are probably in the mix of that too. Can you talk about as a mother? how how you're feeling as a mom and what they may be going through in Texas. And I hope by the time your podcast comes out that we don't have another school shooting. Um, yes, I can certainly talk about that. I I think at first, I mostly when I heard the news, I think I went numb. And then when I was getting my daughter ready for school today, that was when I started to feel it all. And I didn't, I almost went into a panic actually. And I called my husband and I said, I don't think I want to send her to school. And he was very calm and I I did end up taking her, but I think, I don't even know if humans are really designed to hold this amount or contain this amount of grief with the addedness of frustration, anger, and confusion. And there's just so many other feelings mixed in with just grief with this particular situation that I feel like it's really incomprehensible and overwhelming. And so I've let my, I'm very self-aware, very mindful of my bandwidth and how I process things. And so I have let it process in waves for me. And I'll continue to do that. If, If I were to let myself feel everything all at once, I don't think that I could even I think it's better if I just feel it in little pockets at a time. I firmly believe there's no expiration date on grief. There's no, get, you'll get over it in time or time heals all wounds. And I understand that time plays some amount of a role in the healing process for sure. But I don't think that anyone should ever feel like they have to never be sad about something so traumatizing, such as a a loss. And as a mother, there's nothing worse than the loss of your child. Nothing, nothing is worse than that for me. And then, I mean, and then there's the added element, my daughter's in third grade. There's the added element of, of us as parents having to, like you were uh, speaking to earlier of having to talk to our kids about this. We, <clears throat> the school has decided to speak to fifth grade and eighth uh, through eighth and not DK through fourth. And, and so it's, then it's up to the parents to decide what to do. And so far we have not talked to her about what happened, but if she comes to us because she's heard something about what happened and she's worried or she's has questions, then with everything else that she comes to us with, with difficult questions, we honor 
per question. I never say, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Or, You're not old enough or that's not appropriate. I never, we never say that. So we always meet her where she's at and we listen and we get there with her. At first, I always want to figure out where she's at emotionally, you know, how is she thinking about this? How is she feeling about this? So sometimes it's a little bit of me asking her questions and then just letting her think about how, you know, answer those questions. And then I get to learn more. And like you were mentioning before, it's very simple answers, factual, but simple. And I generally just follow her curiosity as opposed to me introducing things that she hasn't asked me about. So I generally just follow her curiosity and go from there. So we'll see what happens today when she gets home from school, if she has any questions for us. And it'll be, it'll be a loving talk and it'll be a, a difficult talk, I think, yes. too. Something that's interesting about my daughter, too, is that you're talking about how grief is, is as unique as a fingerprint. And I really love that because, you know, my daughter's very um, independent and she's very mature and she's people, oh, she's fearless. She's so confident. And yes, 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 sure. And she did very well in COVID, meaning like she stayed on school. She's happy. She's, you know, she thrived just fine. We didn't have any issues. But what a lot of people don't know is that she does sleep with us and she didn't before COVID. So she's, and she still sleeps in our bed and we haven't stopped it because I imagine that for someone as confident and as mature and all these other things that she is, there's there's something she's still processing where she feels most safe with us. And I don't even know if she fully understands that she's processing something difficult or traumatic. She All she knows is that she needs to be there. And so we're honoring that feeling until she is able to either vocalize maybe why she's needing that still or um, until she feels like she doesn't need it anymore, I guess. Have you asked her or does it say, I don't yeah. know? She says, I just, I feel safe. And so I said, okay. Yeah. And you this know? isn't the only shooting we've had or, you know, mommy, why am I wearing a mask all the time? Right. There's a lot. That I know. Yeah. Why am I the news? I'm sure they pick up everything. I don't know if you yeah. guys watch the news or anything, but she's in the school and kids talk and yeah, I can't yeah. even imagine. Right. And I tell you, Chelsea, well, I'm glad you're her mom and that you're out there helping children. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on at this time in our world, which is just unprecedented. It is. Mm -hmm. And so, so avoidable. And you're right. Which is where the, I think the anger mixed with grief yeah. starts to play its, play its role, play its part. Yeah, I absolutely. I do too. And so many things going on with me. So please excuse me. I'm going to just continue on with this podcast. Know that you have your grieving podcast host that is heart is someplace else right now. And, but my heart is also here. I have a big heart. So, and I know Chelsea's does too. Okay, Chelsea, tell us you've lived in different homes. There's no mistake that you wrote a book, a home named Walter. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about that, your childhood a little bit. Yeah, I did move around a lot as a kid. So this story was probably destined for, for me from the beginning. My dad, he was an engineer. And for, you know, whatever reason, it, it created a lot of moving around. So I, by the time I was 12, I moved in four states and 12 houses, I think. So it was, it was Santa Cruz, Arizona, Colorado Springs, then Michigan. And then he often built houses. He, he liked to design and build houses. Um, and so we would that that's the reason for all the many houses that we'd often just stay in other rented houses or apartments or things like that while something else is getting built. One of three kids, I was the middle child. And I have to say, I don't remember really having any trouble moving around, which I know is sort of a boring answer, right? It would have been much more interesting if I had said that it was very difficult for me to say goodbye to all these houses. That being said, I had my brother with me my little brother, and we are very close. And there's a quote on my website from my dad. And it says that Chelsea was always much more attached to the imaginary world than the real world. And this was just a, something he said one day to me. And I put it on my website because 
I think that sums up a lot of how I, how I process things and dealt with things since there was so much change. I think being in my imaginary world felt a little more consistent. Um, and then, so my play with my brother was all very imaginary. We didn't usually play with a lot of toys or games. It was stuff we make up. So there was just a, a lot of imaginary play and Sometimes I wonder too, if, if I'm not a bit like my daughter, where I, at the time of all of the moving around, cause that that's hard on a kid. I think that I didn't really feel any of the challenge or struggle of it then, but it didn't mean it wasn't there in some capacity. And then it stuck with me in some way. And at least a part of it was a seed for this book. Because like you said, grief is unique and the trajectory of how something can be processed or or healed can take a long time, either very consciously or subconsciously, right? So um, it's fun to think about that anyways. And, you know, when you move like that, even though it was a structure, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all you knew. You were pretty young Mm -hmm. throughout all these moves. Yeah. But I remember I used to live and I had never done this before. And I was living in Chicago, had a company for 26 years. And during that 26 years, I had moved to Los Angeles. So I lived in Chicago and Los Angeles. It was fun for a while, but I knew every, I'd be two months, three months here, two, three months in Chicago, back and forth. But I remember after doing like, sorry, my windows are open and there's crows and birds out. I don't know if people could hear that. And I didn't want to get up and close the the window or the large window. But I used to tell people, I feel like someone, here's a potted plant, right? Someone would take that plant pull it up by its roots and the dangling of the, the dirt with the roots were just, you know, letting go. And I'd have to let go a little bit each time because I would be grounded in my place in Chicago and the friends I would call them in Chicago orbit. I'm in LA orbit. Cause they're different. Yeah. Cities energetically, culturally, all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then I would come to LA orbit and get myself settled. And I'm a happy person. And so each place they go, what do you like better? I don't know. I'm happy almost everywhere I go, (laughs) but I still felt like this little, these little roots with dirt dangling each time I was going back and forth. And finally I realized I wanted a place to just be. Yeah. Well, it it was done. And, and that wasn't easy for me. And I had my own transition through that and grief and loss and all that time. Kind of stuff. I had to pick one. Right. But how was the move? Like, did you ever talk about it? Like when you moved, did your parents go, okay, we're going to move again. I know it could be, it may be challenging. Did you have to leave schools? Oh yeah. Wouldn't have your friends and where you got close to a friend. Yeah. And yeah. Then, Bye. Yeah. Every, um, well, between the States state moves. Yes. you changed mm-hmm. schools, obviously, but through the, from the house moves, no, we would be able to stay in the same school mm-hmm. for the house moves within that state. Yeah, again, you know, I don't remember having any, you know, moving almost became part of what we did. It was just almost sort of became something we did to, you know, and so it was almost like we were kind of used to it. And I, and again, I think I really attached myself to my little brother very tightly because he could, he was going to go wherever we went to, you know, and I also, I had a lovey. I had a stuffed animal wombat. That was my lovey that I had loved alive. And, you know, Wooly became extremely like all of Elvateen rabbit sort of thing, like extremely important to me and very real to me. And so I feel like those sorts of tight, tight connections to those, my brother and Wooly and things like that, my imagination, those are the things that I could take with me wherever I went. So that's not to say that each house didn't have its own personality because each one certainly did. And we each had our own connection to it and our own adventures there and our own like love, you know, and memories there. But I don't consciously remember feeling ever like, oh, I don't want to move or I don't want to leave this house, which is sort of funny, which sort of, I mean, that sort of tells me that Walter is not just one not from one little kernel of inspiration, right? I think Walter was born from many different elements that all sort of congealed together to create what that story is. So it had the... Oh, and your Wooly, what's his name? His name is Wooly the Wombat. Yes. Okay, I remember when we talked, our pre-chat. Yes. Tell me yeah. about Wooly, because I think Wooly was 
part of your anchor with your brother and that he he was sort of like home to you. Well, he was home to me. And I, I am actually so, so I can feel the emotion just rise really quickly every time I talk about Wooly, which is, it's so important to note, to, to recognize that and to honor it actually, because I know it might seem silly to some of our adult listeners <laughs> that I am a grown woman still grieving. The, I, I did lose Wooly. I lost Wooly on an airplane when I was uh, 12 and I grieve that loss. And I think I'm, there's part of me that is still grieving that loss. And part of it was that I didn't, it wasn't even just my loss too. It was, was Wooly scared? I was worried for him. Was he scared? Was he hurt? Was he ever going to be loved again? And it was hard. I mean, my mother was a psychologist. And so she actually was really good at honoring that grief. And I remember her being right by my side and never making me feel still like she wasn't that mom who was going to say, oh, it's just a stuffed animal or we'll just get you a new one. Like she was the one that was like, no, this is terrible. And <laughs> let's see, if, you know, if we can't find them, this is very sad. This is a sad thing. So I remember her being like such a warrior for me in terms of just never making me feel like my emotions were something to be embarrassed by or something to be shoved under the rug. She was the opposite. I was I didn't realize how lucky I was until I, you know, I've heard other childhood experiences where emotions were not welcome, right? Um, Losses, puppies, hey, we'll get another one. Yeah, or don't don't be sad, don't cry, Mm -hmm. you know, you're you're fine. I never heard those things from my mom. She was very good at doing what I was saying earlier about Charlie. It's just whatever is coming to me, I I meet, meet she met me at that level and she honored the emotional cycle that was needed for, for me. And so a little part of me feels like Wooly is in this book on some level. Maybe it was cathartic for me to write a story about an inanimate object that was hurt and was feeling very sad and was needing to be loved and then creating an ending that would have satisfied my, my soul for Wooly's sake, meaning like, I hope that just like little girl Malter, I hope that somebody, some lovely child may have found Wooly and loved him the same way I did. And he's okay. So I seems like I'm over analyzing this whole story, but (laughs) I don't think so whatsoever. And that's what grief recovery is all about Yeah, is recognizing what's coming up. I remember something I had an argument with my mother when I was in high school. I'm 64 years old. And I remember, I still remembered it and other things that happened. Like they come up in my memory. I'm like, this is unresolved grief. When I started becoming certified and did the grief recovery work, Mm -hmm. we do like a a life history graph. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, these things are coming up. You know, before I would think of them as insignificant. Right. Thought. Right. But it wasn't just a thought, a head thing. This was a heart thing that affected me. Yeah. And I still get affected by inanimate objects. There was a commercial, and I think I told you in our pre-chat, it was an electric company. I don't know what. It was just like a little reading lamp, and they were done with it. And it was on the curb waiting for the garbage can with all the other garbage. I just could cry. And yeah. they made, you know, commercials make it like with the music. Of and course. I'm like, so touched and ready to burst out crying because I feel bad for this lamb. You know, what did it, it represent to me? I don't know. So well, no, but that's it. But that, but that's what it is for for all of us. When we, when, whenever I like what I felt sad when you told me the story about the the lamp. And I was a kid who was generally very sensitive to old abandoned toys that were unloved. And so for me, it's sort of pulling out the thematic feelings underneath or the undercurrent of all of that. So what is that really, what am I really saying? It's this fear of abandonment and the, like a longing to be loved, you know? So there's fear and there's, you know, longing. And so I'm like, okay, so where is that coming from even deeper, deeper than just the lamp or the house or the bullet, like even deeper, like what, what is that emotion that is so, why is it so powerful? And mean, why is it sticking around? Is it unresolved trauma? Is it, I don't know. And sometimes so, we don't need to even put a word on it. I just know that I am. Yeah. I just that know too. that I'm affected by it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a crush on Benny the Bull, which is a mascot at the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> I mean, they've changed it, but he was so cute. I was like, fell in love. And my friend, Joe Lagatuta, this older guy who was a good friend, he goes, I don't get it, Charlene, but I guess. 
Right. Like I love that Benny the Bull. I, just, I don't know why. I just fell in love with this inanimate bit. This guy's in this costume, right? Yeah. There wasn't the man in it, but it was so cute. He was fun and happy. And yeah, I think just the freedom of who he represented. I have no idea, but I'm not going to claim it. But I had a picture of me with him on my desk for decades. <laughs> So then I got, you know, I don't know what happened with that, but I know I had a lot of feelings about it in my heart. In my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So now your daughter, how I know she's similar to you. Does she have sort of attachments to? She has, um, she has Bunny, um, who is like Wooly. Bunny, she's had since she was born and she still sleeps with Bunny and she firmly, fully, honestly believes Bunny is alive. And so do I. I believe that Bunny's been loved alive Um, and she cherishes that Bunny. Bunny's not allowed to leave the house. I mean, if we do, (laughs) we are so paranoid for me, a little traumatized. Um, So yeah, Bunny doesn't leave the house. When we go on vacation, I do tag Bunny with our contact info. And um, I usually tie Bunny to like her wrist or like her backpack. Like, cause I just can't, like, I don't think I could, (laughs) it feels like anyway, I could not handle another loss like that isn't that something yeah so yeah bunny yeah i wrote a book about bunny uh it was just it wasn't for publishing it was just really a gift for charlie but yeah so and it's again yeah the undercurrent of it is again the longing to be loved and a fear like a fear of not being loved and i wrote that before walter and it's just so funny how this was clearly I think my agent might might no my agent did point this out to me. I had submitted a couple of manuscripts to her, the bunny story being one, Walter being one, and then I had another one called Wooly. Um, they all three seemed different to me, but Jen was was uh she said, you know, I see this sometimes with authors where they have like a really strong emotion that they're longing to express or trying to express. And it finds itself in many different stories. And she goes, I, I see that here, but I feel like you did it best or just right with Walter. And I was like, what is she talking about? But then, yeah, I, they all have these sorts of, yeah, a little bit of abandonment stuff, a little bit of a wanting to be loved or wanting to be loved stuff. It's just interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? This is your way. I believe there's many paths to, and I use the word recovery because I can't, sometimes words don't give it justice what I'm trying to talk about, like recovery. People have all kinds of idea what recovery is, but this is your journey of soothing your soul. Yeah. This is your journey of expression in life. This is journey of your sharing your experience, strength, and hope with people. And I love, if we can talk about the book, I don't want to give it away, but there's, there's ways that, can I talk a little bit about the book? Sure. Okay. Walter is a house that they, he had a loving family and then the family left and he was very sad. And he, in my mind, extreme grief Yes. and alone. He just like, he just lost the will to be a live house yes he just sort of let himself go you know isolated um let the grass grow um, neglected himself yeah all that stuff and then they get a new family coming in with this little girl and the mom and I won't tell you the whole story of the family but at the very beginning the daughter goes, let's open the shutters. They open the shutters and they slam shut. That's me clapping my hands because we're in audio. Slam <laughs> shut. And then let's bake some cookies. But the stove refused to bake. And so what was interesting, this book is a book of understanding. Yeah. And the daughter was so beautifully understanding and didn't judge the house no she She said empathy and compassion yes immediately from the very beginning it's like she she, got it yeah and there's a reason why she got it but I'm not going to talk about that right now but can you talk a little bit about the book and um yeah lessons and having it through the eyes of the child either a parent reading the book or the child reading the book or both of them reading the book you know I think attention on that yeah, I I think, well, I will say, you know, I wrote an article for a scary mommy that was called Lost the Lens of a Child. And I did talk about Wooly and Bunny and all that stuff. And, and mostly it was to say that even, you, you know, even moments that feel as grownups that don't feel maybe like a big deal or like traditional grieving moments, 
They are big moments for children. Um, kids, it's like their souls are expansive, you know, in ways that some grownups, there are not. And, and what I mean is that kids feel things deeply and they aren't afraid of feeling those things and expressing them. And there's no, there's, there's sort of like, there's no constructs, there's no limits, right? Anything that they feel is valid. And so because of the experience I had with Foley and my close connection to those memories and, and all of that, it didn't, I didn't have to reach into my childhood to feel Walter. I felt Walter. I just, it wasn't hard for me to feel or understand what he would, what this character would feel like if the family he loved moved away. And so this story came to me almost just kind of fully formed. Although, as we mentioned earlier, I had been written these other stories that feel like they were the stepping stones to getting to Walter. I really loved the idea of writing a story where an inanimate object and a child connected to each other without it being knocked over your head. Like, so she doesn't even really, she talks to Walter eventually just a little, he doesn't talk. He's not like a talking house. It's just the story is told through his perspective in the sense that we, it's narrated in a way that we understand what Walter's going through. You know, the mom is sort of oblivious to the house having any sort of soul, but the little girl just very subtly is sensing his heart. And I love that kind of a connection. It felt to me so honest and believable. And a lot of authors will come to me and ask, you know, how do you write emotion? How do you write nuanced emotion? And I don't think to write emotion, you have to write something sad necessarily. It doesn't have to be like, okay, here's where you're feeling sad or here's you're supposed to feel sad. Now, this is a sad thing that just happened. I think the way to write emotion is just to be sincere with what you're writing. And if you are sincere, then your readers will feel that authenticity and it will connect it's all about that connection, ultimately, in order to create an emotional shift in us. There's a book that is not sad, but it makes me cry every single time. I have a big, huge well of emotion every time I read it, and there's nothing sad in it. It's, a, it's literally just a story about a friendship. But the reason and I thought about this, my like, gosh, what is it about this book that it just makes me like, like the emotional sh- it's not even about me crying really it's just a shift I feel a shift inside every and the reason is is because it's it's sincere it's just an honest friendship and the love this one boy has for his friend is so pure and it that it really affects me it really really creates an emotional shift so I think with Walter perhaps the reason why it's connecting it's working is because there's not a part of me that doesn't believe in Walter or it doesn't, you know, I felt Walter. I feel him full heartedly in my heart and in my soul and the little girls well, and their connection means something to me. I yes. feel like, yeah. So, and you know what I loved about it? I read the book. I didn't get sad. She was right. so in the moment with the house. Right. I got this slice of beautiful life and the theme here. Every response she had was loving. It right. wasn't judging. Right. Or I didn't get my cookies. Come on, kick the stove, right? right. The cookies weren't coming out or the blinds weren't up. She just sort of had this beautiful childlike emotion, which I think we're all born with. It's just this pure, unadulterated love, this purity. Yeah. And it's sort of get, and like one part, uh, we can make a fire in the fireplace, but he quickly snuffed out the flame. This house seems to have some personality, the mother says, right? Mm-hmm. He'll fill it in right with us. So they related to the house. Right. I think we can relate. I'm not saying we have to know, but if we have some kind of non-judgment. Yeah. Yeah. That's again, it's to the purity of it all. She's She's sort of experiencing his response to them in the moment with him, you know, and it's sort of, it's almost like she's observing rather than like you said, judging, or, you know, she's, it's just, there's a general curiosity building and you know what I mean? And then yes. with, with that curiosity will inevitably become a connection because you can tell that she's already sort of 
yeah, feeling like the house is part of their family in some strange way <laughs> um, yes. or, or, or wants to be or doesn't want to be or whatever, but she, she senses his, his heart. And I don't think she really realizes it's broken though. She doesn't realize it's a broken heart until a little later in the book, but. Yeah. And broken heart isn't good. It isn't bad. It's just is right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about us as adults and even children And one of the reasons why I do this grief recovery work and do my own, you know, right now I'm studying on positive intelligence and our saboteurs and how we get into our sage part, which is heart work. And for some reason, I'm just zeroing in on this heart work and mental fitness and all that kind of stuff. And how I know how I shut down in relationships or didn't go far enough unconsciously because I was afraid I'll be rejected or lost, abandonment. You talked about abandonment, I think, at the beginning. And, you know, the sensitivities of all of us and how it needs to be acknowledged, the vulnerability of it all. That, to me, is strength. It's easy to, we talk about short-term energy-relieving behaviors, where we're not conscious, we're just doing, doing shopping. It came out so much in COVID, like in relationships Mm -hmm. where we're so busy in our life. I'm going to the gym, I'm going shopping, I'm going here. And then the couples or families had to be together. (laughs) I tell you, the sparks flew in a lot of families because they had to face the truth. Right. And hopefully this is a healing, powerful time for them. And they took full advantage of it. Mm-hmm. and acknowledged and hopefully we can all be heard like Walter was heard and I think Walter heard her the little girl too yes it was it's a reciprocal moment it's mm-hmm. a reciprocal moment and you know he it's interesting how he dealt with his grief because it really isn't how I deal with mine um, but it's certainly how other many people do I, I think I feel like I, if I were to relate more, I'd probably relate more to the little girl. She seems a little bit more in touch with her feelings and sort of not she's willing to just feel them and be honest with herself about how she's feeling. Whereas Walter, I feel um, stuffed them in and pushed everyone away. And that's valid, too, though. I mean, like, there's they're very there are two very different ways that these two characters were were dealing with their um, losses yet they still were able to empathize and connect with each other compassionately and honestly. It was in that connection, I think, that healing for for both sides. um, I think they were each other's peers because they were both going through losses. The house, Walter helped her and she helped Walter. Yes. She probably recognized some things in him that he helped go through this metamorphosis or recalibrate mm-hmm. through this law, her loss, his yeah. loss. I, I don't know. It's just beautiful. This is a beautiful book. And if you had any thoughts about parents and why they should read this book, not should, but why they would benefit from reading this book to their children or having her, their children read it and their friends. And also after that, can you please talk about the new books that could be coming out? I know you have four more in the hopper. Five more in the hopper. Oh, so there's six books. Okay, good that you've done. How awesome. And and then we're going to have, we're, our time is going to be up. So this okay. is so, much, so cool to, you know, be with you today. Oh, thank you. No, it's been amazing. What a, and what a, like a God shot that this happened today. I think it's been, you know, a bit healing just to be with you for this hour today. So I'm really grateful. And so thank you, Charlene. You know, the fun, what I love about Walter for parents is that it's like, here's what I love. A little earlier, you said it's not sad. I actually love that it's not a sad book. There are, there's some tough situations or experiences that are in there, but at the same time, there's, there's a level of levity and softness uh, a bit through the lyric co-writing a lot from Ginny, who, whose illustrations I think bring so much warmth and to the book that, and, and also, I mean, creating it, creating what could have been a more maudlin kind of premise. And it brings a little, brings it a little bit, a light to it, I think, and even a comical aspect to it. So it's, it's, a, yes, I love your illustrator. Oh, I what love is her name? Let's say her Ginny, name. Ginny Sue. Ginny Sue. Is is on H-S-U. 
Yeah, she's amazing. And if you if you guys are on Instagram, G-I, um, G-I-N-N-I-E-H-S-U. Janice, you should follow her just because you're going to want to see her art every day. It'll just make you want to move into it. She's a lovely human too, by the way. We've become dear friends. So the, it, to me, it feels like a like warmth. And there's a few funny moments in there that I think kids really love. There's a big dramatic moment in there that I kids have told me they absolutely love the pipes scene so that one is done in a way that's very almost fun without it's 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 fun it's warm it's real it's you know it's honoring the trueness of the emotion in the moment and it's about relationships it's about love it's about empathy it's about moving yes it's about how to deal with you know there's so many different conversations that can come from this book there also there's a teacher's guide a resource guide that was created for this that you can find on my website but it has all the different things that you can pull out activities you can pull out for kids there's everything from math to social emotional to even music and so but then at the end of the day you know a book can have all these other you know these cool extensions and cool conversations but at the end of the day you just kids just want a good story yeah. And so, I mean, I, think, I mean, I, I, I sort of feel like I pitched what teachers and librarians and grownups, we all sort of hope for lots of layers in a book. So there certainly has that. But the kids, they just want a good story that they'll want to read again. And so I think Walter at the end of the day is, is really just a good story. It's a unique story. It's got a little heart, a little humor. And yeah. So. Even as an adult, I... What I know of people I've worked with and then people I've had on the podcast and just life in general is that sometimes we need the simplicity because maybe we've never acknowledged. Yeah. Like something, oh, I could relate. I can relate to this. Right. I'm like, yeah. I've been there. I'm yeah. not a house. I'm a human, but I've done some of those things where I. Well, and the, and you just touched on really the cornerstone of the healing process of where the little girl says, you're not alone. I mean, honestly, sometimes all we need to know to, to get through the next moment to moment is to know that we're not alone, that we, that other people have experienced this or that other people are at least here for us while we're experiencing this. And that feeling is so safe. There's that word again, safe and comforting. So I think, yeah. And parents. If you got something out of it, try not to be too deep or complex with your child. This yeah. is what happened to me. They're not going to get it. It will, re, you know, be in their being and their consciousness. And then they'll act accordingly as you go, because this is a teaching book, too. Oh, which yeah, you don't yeah. even know it's teaching. And I would say just honestly, we read it and then let them ask you questions or what do you think? What do you think? You know, and let's see what they say. And you never know that sometimes they notice things that I have. <laughs> I have one kid asked me if I named Walter Walter because he has walls. And I was like, well, no, but that's a way more interesting answer than mine. I so love you. that. I know kids are amazing. So let them let them tell you. Let well, them. this is beautiful. Thank <laughs> you. And our time is up. Can you talk about some of your other books or is it just... Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the two that have been announced in Publishers Weekly. I won't be able to talk too much about the other three because they haven't been announced yet in, in the publisher's uh, marketplace yet. But the two um, for next year um, in spring of 2023 is Ode to a Bad Day. And that's illustrated by Hai Wan Yum. And it's unbelievably fun. It's I mean, I barely have to pitch that one because I swear everyone's going to want this book. It's with this one little girl's very bad day, but it's written in odes. So every moment is an ode. Um, and I'm mostly looking forward to teaching kids how to write odes, as well as just hearing about all kids' bad days <laughs> and bad moments. Oh, I want to um, hear about them. Maybe we'll have you back. Uh, it is so good. So my editor, who's amazing, Taylor Norman Chronicles, she's amazing. She's like, this is one of the, like, she's like, this is one of the best and most fun books I've ever seen about so many emotions. There's so many emotions that this one child experiences throughout the day, but it's comical, but it's honest, super kid facing. And it's really, and Haiwan's art is unbelievable. She created this little girl with these expressions and this body language. It's so dramatic and it's, 
Oh, it's so good. I'm super excited. And then, and then the kid drama continues in the fall with a trip to Miss Petrie, which I also did with Taylor at Chronicle. And um, that's illustrated by Alison Farrell. And oh my gosh, Alison did the most stupendous job with this book. And that one is about, because it's a beast of a book. It's about uh, kids piling up, piling in one after another into a school nurse's office with different ailments. And so it has a massive cast of characters, diverse kids, all different kinds of kids. And they're all different kinds of ailments from lice to a uh, paper cut to vomit, like anything that could happen in a school kids day happens. And it's the nurses, Miss Petrie, and she, um, she's amazing. And it's, it's just an incredible, it turned out to be one of the most incredible. Cause Allison really took this book to another level. Frankly. Oh, this is going to be fun. Well, I'll hear yeah. about it. Please yeah. be sure of that. And I'll get them. I'll be a fan. This is the <laughs> book you. I got. A house named Walter. I'm going to give it to a special child. Oh, thank you. I don't know who yet, but (laughs) you'll know when you know. (laughs) And I'm just so excited. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much. You were such a delight in this tough day today and of the aftermath of such tragedy. And unfortunately, in our world, this is something that happens. I don't care through how many generations and all that. We are all affected by it. And, And I hope. The families that are affected by this mass shooting and other mass shootings and any other kind of tragedy that know that these two women, myself and Chelsea, are with you. And anyone who's listening, whatever you're going through, you're not alone. Just know our hearts are with you. You may not know us, but I hope you know us a little bit through this podcast today that we're here for you. And please reach out. And Chelsea, we're going to have your links. I know we have a link for the book and all that. And you're not a counselor. You're not a coach. You're not a grief recovery specialist. But just read her books for some great inspiration and support. And call me. We're on all the uh, podcast platforms. And my favorite is Apple. But we're on ACAS, Spotify, everything. And if you do listen to the podcast, please rate and review and sub- subscribe, rate and review. And we're here for you. So see you later. Thank you again, Chelsea. Thank you so much. Good to, You're welcome. Good to talk Bye. to you. Bye. Bye. Peace and love, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.